And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Wednesday, November 4th, 2020. Derek Van Riper here with Edo Saris. Episode 1 of 2021 Fantasy Baseball Draft Prep Season. I think that's fair to call it that. We're back after a week of temporary relaxation, and now um, we've just dumped a whole bucket of anxiety all over ourselves in the last 48 hours or so. (laughs) It doesn't look like that's going to clear up anytime soon, but um, you know what? This is a welcome distraction. You know, I think this is a much needed episode for me, for my own sanity and well-being, given where we're at right now. Don't want to look at the needle anymore. <laughs> Do not want to look at the needle anymore. It is weird, though, I think, to kind of just finish off the World Series and, like, maybe procedurally we could change things in baseball where options aren't due, like, the day after the World Series ends or something. It's like we go right into. You know, are they going to pick up his option or what are we going to do? Like, hot stove, let's get into it. Uh, Maybe baseball wants that. You know, I guess there is a part of the baseball machine that wants to have, like, MLB Network needs to have content. You know, they can't just spend a month, uh, you know, just putting nothing up or putting old games up. So, like, I guess that's the whole idea. Make it year round, you know, make it the Sunday after the World Series, the options are due. Um, so then we get to yell about Brad Hand and, and yell about all these uh, option decisions. So, I mean, if the, if the if the commissioner is going to take an interview, a, a, an exclusive interview, the night of Game Six or the night before Game Six, and talk about how many losses, financial losses, baseball is having, uh, there is a certain element of baseball that just is always on and will always be on. <laughs> <laughs> it just feels like those decisions could be a little more strategic. And if you're really struggling for off-season content and viewership, maybe this is just a suggestion, a very friendly suggestion. Maybe you don't run the two-hour Gold Glove Award <laughs> show during election night. Now, I realize election night in the States is once every four years, so it's not always on the calendar, but you should every four years just kind of steer your content away from that night in particular if you're trying to find the path to the most viewers. Just a friendly suggestion. But I'm moving on. Like like everybody else, like I do want to look ahead to 2021. I do start thinking about next season pretty much the day after fantasy baseball season ends. Even if I did well, I, I start thinking about the future. Like, oh, okay, what are we going to do next year? What kinds of changes are we going to make? What movers do we have what kinds of uh, adjustments are we making to our strategies like those questions do start to pop up on me pretty quickly so i i'm not going to hold it against baseball if they want to sort of get on to the next one as quickly as they do i think they could make a few tweaks maybe not have options due on a sunday when 
a lot of the sports world is thinking about the NFL, for example. Maybe have that, you know, a week after the World Series ends, but on the first weekday. So Tuesday maybe a, a Tuesday Monday, night. Yeah, <laughs> yeah don't, don't run up against Monday Night Football. Don't run up against Sunday Night Football. Like, kind of have your own little space so baseball can be on sport fans' mind for these few hours and be the distraction for those few hours. That's that's the way I would do it. But hey, look, they, they don't ask what I think. They just kind of do their own thing. Uh, so... I want to sort of pull back and, and talk about the process of you know, what goes through our minds as we're starting to look at players for the 2021 season. It's weirder than ever because of the shortened 60-game 2020 season. Trying to find some balance in, in how we put those rankings together. They've come along much more slowly than anticipated. People who listen to the show might recall that at the end of the regular season, I was trying to get them out in the first week of October. Uh, a month has passed and they're still not quite done. So my apologies for that. There are some kind of interesting reasons for that, though. It It's kind of like looking at a season in a funhouse mirror is, is the way I'm looking at 2020. Like Nothing is what it appears to be. Everything is distorted, right? One person steps in front of the mirror, and they're short and wide. And the next person steps in front of the same mirror, and they're tall and skinny. I feel like I feel like I'm just I'm visualizing sleeper in the bust. Our friends Justin Mason and Paul Spore in my head. I don't know why. <laughs> it's because of their T-shirt, though. Their T-shirt is the graphs, and Mason's the the short oh, wide graph, and collects <laughs> the middle graph, and Spore's Spore the, the tall, tall skinny graph. <laughs> yeah, it's it's their own design. It's not me being mean. So I, it, it's like you put Colette in front of the mirror, and he looks like Spore or Mason now. Like that's what 2020 is. It's so so much of a distortion of what we're used to. And you're trying not to introduce too much recency bias into new rankings anyway. And I think that's doubly important when you're dealing with a 60-game season. From some players, it was even less than that, of course, because of injuries, because of call-ups, all the different factors this year. So I'm just trying to find a balance between, for hitters especially, growth in things like plate skills and exit velocity without completely dismissing broader success. So I'm trying to wait what happened in 2020 against what happened in 2019 and 2020 sort of mushed together. I don't know if this is the best way to go about it, but I feel like that's my tactic for trying to remove some of that recency bias from the shortened season that we just experienced. Yeah, it's really it's really tough because we're going to have so much recency bias and it's recency bias around such a small sample that it's going to pollute uh, what we think about some really key bounce back players um, you know, players like uh, Cody Bellinger, Christian Yelich, like these guys are all going to come up and we're, we're going to debate them to death. I, what I like about you combining 2019 and t- 2020 is now those players look a little better. Um, you know, for example, Cody Bellinger, instead of hitting 239, hits 287. You know, it starts to uh, kind of even out some of the missing spots. Um, I don't know if this can be helpful or or make the discussion harder to track, but I do think this is interesting either way. Uh, Tom Tango, who is the main um, architect over at MLBIM, data architect at MLBIM, has a blog called Tango Tiger Blog, um, and he did. A, he just wanted to look at um, what 2020 stats meant, and so you know, like you, like we all had this like this number 2.6, right? That like. Everything, every game was worth 2.6 because that's that was the that was the relationship between one game in 2020 versus the, 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 the that's the relationship between 60 and 162, 2.6. But what 
Tom Tango found was that actually, um, if you just double someone's war in the first 60 games of a season, he kind of looked back over, over past seasons. If you just double their war in the first 60 games, you get their full season war. So that's that's about wins by replacement, which is a unique stat because it looks like a counting stat, but you can have negative war. Like you can play, you can play two weeks to below replacement. So even though it's a counting stat, it's not one that just only goes forward. You know, you can go backward, and so that's probably why you can double it, right? You there's going to be regression, there's going to be some bad weeks, and all in all, it comes out to about doubling. So. You know, even if you look at some of the 2020 stats, that actually kind of starts to make some sense. You know, Fernando Tatis hit 17 homers, had 11 stolen bases. I I feel a little bit uncomfortable 2.6ing a lot of that, uh, but doubling it now you're talking about 30, 34 homers, the 20 stolen bases. That feels that feels pretty good, um, and so that can help you kind of uh, just glance at 2020 and come up with something. The reason that I'm worried that this is unhelpful is. Um, the other way that projections are done is you look at five times, like Marcel is just the most basic uh, projection system. You look at five times the last year, three times the year before that, and two times the year before that, and you divide it all by 10. That's a very simple projection system that actually can hang with the boys uh, when it comes to when it comes to the other uh, projection systems. I didn't need to make that gendered. I'm just saying it can hang with all the other projection systems. And so that's why... Um, you know, Marcel's is a good way to kind of look at things. However, what if you're taking five times two times? Are you going to double uh, like everybody's 2020 stats and then do five, three, two? Because then you're weighting that small sample really hard. So um, I know there are steamer projections out. I haven't yet talked to uh, them about how they're doing. It seems like an interesting um, thing to, to talk to the different projection people and see how they're dealing with the small sample. Um, and we do know that like steamer and zips and all them, they're well aware of the things that become stable quicker. So they're not going to look at how many singles you had in 2020 and put a lot of weight on that. They're going to put a lot more weight on your strikeout weight, your walk rate, uh, your fly ball rate, uh, you know, things that become more meaningful in smaller samples. And that's, that's, I think what we should end up doing is a lot of sort of process, look at strikeout walk rates, look at ground ball, fly ball, like launch angle type stuff, look at exit velocity, and uh, try not to look too hard at something like batting average, which uh, is super, super noisy in a full season. The other thing I would point out too, if you're using earned auction values or earned dollar values from the shortened season, with batting average being really noisy, that's not accounted for in the earned formulas right so you might be getting a lot of lift from a batting average that's really unstable so um, I, I have earned values in my big spreadsheet that I use as I'm putting the rankings together but I, I know that some of those numbers are artificially inflated by factors that simply don't matter going forward so yeah like we love Juan Soto but a 351 average right I mean the Juan Soto's partial 2020 season is incredible a 200 wrc plus <laughs> that's ridiculous 196 plate appearances of that he that's might not amazing. be a great example because he's so good that like you know well you know, yeah, dj just, LeMay, he was 364 probably overrates him yeah right he's not going to hit 364 over marcelo zuna is not going to hit 338 again and and that's where i find it like really helpful to kind of pull back and go what does this look like with a larger 
sample. What does this look like for the last year and change? And that's where with DJ LeMayhew, I mean, still over the last 871 plate appearances, 19 and 20 combined, a 336 average. That gives you at least a little better idea of, of what the the high end sort of outcome might be. And even that feels higher than any projection system is going to go, of course. Uh, but all this kind of being the foundation for our conversation, uh, we got a lot of great questions that came in over the last month or so. We'll kind of weave those in and out as well. And I find that you're going to kind of end up with this difficult choice early in your draft. If you have a first half of the first round sort of pick, or if you're in an auction, you're going to throw 40, 45, 50 bucks at a couple of players. How important is speed to you at the very top of the board? Because if it's really important to you, Mike Trout's not your number one overall player. He wasn't my number one overall player going into 2020. He's third for me yet again, still in the the big three, even though it's not really a big three anymore. If speed is important to you because you can't trade for it, because you have a hard time finding it later on in your draft or in your auction, Tatis and Acuna sort of jump up in that early group. And I think the question with Tatis is, do you have enough there between last year and this year to trust him? Because the concern I had with Tatis coming into 2020, which is so funny because he was like the first player I ended up getting in labor back in the spring. The concern I had was that he struck out a lot and the back injury that he dealt with a season ago was something that I thought could be a problem going forward. He proved that really wasn't an issue, cut the strikeout rate down, showed that the power he displayed in year one wasn't a fluke. And still ran. Like he ticked all of the boxes and the underlying numbers are good. Is it enough for you if you have that first pick to say, yeah, Tatis is my guy? I think he's the best player in fantasy baseball at this point. You know, you had this really helpful sheet here that kind of is color coded. And, um, you know, you kind of look at Mike Trout. The, the thing that stands out for him is he's got the lowest uh, combined 2019, 2019, 2020 stolen base count um, in your top 10, top 11 even. But it's not quite red. You know, it's uh, you, you know full season. You might still get a, a representative number out of there. You know, like an average. You might still get your five, whatever you need per slot. You know, so you wouldn't be dragging you backwards. Um, like, uh, maybe somebody like Anthony Rendon or, or somebody that might just end up with one or, or zero stolen bases next year. Um, you know, JD Martinez, Nolan Arenado, those types. Uh, so that's one thing. The only red I see, uh, in the top 10 anywhere is the strikeout rates for Tatis and Acuna, uh, at 27%. And they they still exist, you know, uh, holding a 27% strikeout rate and a 30, a 301 average as he ha- as Tatis has done for 2019 to 2020 is not usually a combo that goes together. Um, you know, just look at Acuna, 27% strikeout rate, 274 average. Acuna hits the ball hard. Um, his max EV is harder than, than Tatis's. So um, I think I might be a Betts guy. That's sort of a have your cake and eat it too sort of approach. There's no, there's no bad, there's nothing bad. It's all green. There's no, there's no, there's nothing to worry about. You know, power, speed, runs, RBI, batting average. It's all there. And usually what you're doing with the first pick is buying floor. 
That's why we bought Mike Trout with the first pick for so long. So Betts, to me, is the new Trout because he steals bases. Yeah, and you could even argue that Soto is right there as the new Trout as well. I mean, the plate skills are elite. He runs a little bit more than Trout does. You're getting... The thing that jumps out the page to me, when you look at the 19 and 20 combined numbers, look at the OBPs. Both Trout and Soto in the 420 range. Trout at 424, Soto at 421. That gives you so much more floor with your run scored. Mm-hmm. And it, or it like should. The most, I it, it should. I mean, <laughs> no, in, actually, you know, Trout did pretty good. I mean, even though his team was terrible, he had 41 runs and 46 RBI. Like, you know, that was yeah. pretty good. It's, like it, the, it's, I mean, it's kind of crazy that you look at it. Tatis, Acuna, Betts, Turner, they all scored more runs this year. They did. Because Soto played less than, better, than better those guys. But that's another reason to take bets, though. You know, you don't know which direction the, the lineup is going to go in Washington. The Angels lineup, you know, uh, struggles sometimes despite the big names in it. And we don't know if they'll ever jettison Pujols like they should. So you, there is something instructive about the runs and RBI totals for Tatis and Acuna versus uh, Trout and Soto. So Betts, though, doesn't have that problem. He's He's more like... The runs and RBI totals from Tatis and Acuna, the floor of Trout and Soto. So I, I think it's a it's a it's a fascinating thing to kind of sort those five first five, but to me it starts with bets, and then, ah uh, man, I, maybe the the patience of Acuna uh, puts him a little bit ahead of Tatis, but I think both those guys make me a little bit nervous just in terms of just having a year like Acuna hit 250 this year. I, I'm not saying that's a collapse, but like. You know that that's a possibility for both of them is to, ha- to hit 250, 240 even uh, for a season, um, and with the power and speed, it'll probably be fine. But that that's something I'd rather do at the sort of three, four, five. I think I might even go like Bet Soto, Trout, Tatis, Acuna, or Acuna, Tatis. But at, um, you know, I know there's definitely some people yelling at their radio. <laughs> yeah i'm sure we've struck a nerve because um, you know people are on edge and everything about other stuff but uh, and and we had a question what from wes stuff? <laughs> what other stuff wes wrote us a while back and just wrote any chance the industry movement to moving trout from one overall to that three to five range is an overreaction to the 60 game season you know i, I don't think it's that I, I think it is a question of floor versus ceiling and the value of steals, and it's a roster construction question too. Depending on the type of league you play in, where are you going to get the bags from if you don't get some steals or a lot of steals right away? I think that's a, a real question. But as you look through and you start moving further down the board, there there are steals. There are guys that run just as much as those top five players. I mean, even a dozen bags, like we said, it's not nothing. A dozen bags in two years is still fine. If you get a handful of guys that do that early on, you're not in terrible shape, and in the mid-round, you can still find more guys that run a little bit there, too. So maybe you're spreading the risk around in that category and getting so much more floor in average and run production and power that you are better off that way. I, I think it's more of a debate than there's an obvious answer one way or the other. I think the projections are going to tell you it's Trouter bets or Soto, and the more kind of loose gut feel sort of approach and thinking about it more from just a pure roster construction exercise, that's going to steer you more towards Tatis and Acuna. 
Yeah, the stolen bases are big. And I, I almost um, want to push back a little bit on the existence of mid-round steals. Like, they kind of are drying up. I think someone with the plate skills of an Alberto Mondesi, uh, to me, should be uh, that mid-round steals guy. Uh, he's going to go in the second round despite, uh, you know, having a 294 OBP last year um, and a 256 batting average. Uh some, you know, there are projections out there that uh, Steamer has him with 50 steals next year, 52 steals in a full year, uh, which would make him a better pick than Trey Turner, um, which just seems weird to me. Seems like some evidence that fantasy is broken if we're trying to reward good players. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, Adalberto Mondesi, uh, Whit Merrifield stole 12 this year, which was uh, pretty surprising. I think he'll steal fewer next year. Trent Grisham stole 10. I'm looking for double-digit steals in the middle rounds, and I just stopped naming them. Tommy Pham? Yeah, I mean, Luis Robert, Tommy Pham. I, I think a half dozen in the shortened season kind of gets you there. If you look at the combined totals, like 15 to 20. The mid-round steals guys are mixed risky players. Jonathan VR. Oh, Yuck. he's... The problem he presents is the gap between his real-life value and his fantasy value. It's always been true, and I think we've hit the point now where he's old enough and teams have recognized, like, even the rebuilding teams, eh, he's just not part of the future. We're not doing that anymore. He's a part-time player next year, I think. I think he's, like, somebody's utility player. Yeah, and, and maybe he can do enough damage if the price comes down to still be viable for us, but the days of him being an early-rounder appear to be to be over. Is Tim Anderson risky? Because he's one of those guys, I've got him inside my top 50 among hitters. He's hit 331 over the last two seasons combined, 28 homers, 22 steals. The lineup around him is getting better. It's a 134 WRC plus over that span. He doesn't strike out that much. What's how much of a steals asset if he, is he, if he steals 10? More, I mean, like 10 is kind of a big deal. You have to get to 100 steals in most leagues. I mean, it used to be like one. Ten's not the guy plus. where you're like, oh, I took five and took three and took four, and then I took Tim Anderson, and now I'm good. No, now you have fifty steals. Right, you got to keep. You got to keep <laughs> finding it. I, I mean, I'm not saying it's draft Tim Anderson in the fourth or fifth round and be like, all right, it's good on steals. But I, right, I think right. you have to kind of decide on some of these mid tier players who are going to get you eight, ten, twelve, maybe fifteen. Do you trust them to keep their job? In Anderson's case, hundred percent yes. And are the other skills? stable enough for him to be good in several other categories. I mean, I think when you look at Tim Anderson, there are some concerns maybe with stat cast numbers. The average exit velocity is not great. The max exit velocity is not great. I still think he is not a, a sabermetrically pleasing player because of the low walk rate, and people get really bent about that. I think I used to get more bothered by that than I do now, so I don't fault people who look at it that way and just say, yeah, I just can't really go early mid-round with a player that walks less than 5% of the time. Like I, I I can understand where that line of thinking comes from, but we have more good Tim Anderson than bad Tim Anderson in the range of time that we should care about. I think that's the the broader point that I'm trying to make with, with no, him. No, I, I like him, I, but I, I think I might project him for like a 275 average just to reflect some of the risk, you know. Um, I mean, some of his babbits have been pretty inflated, but I will tell you, man, I'm looking up and down this, this sheet and I'm freaking out. I am freaking out about steals. <laughs> I am freaking out. I have now changed my top five just because of what happened when I scroll down, look for steals. 
So I'm still going Betts first, which is because he, I think he has the highest floor in baseball. Then I'm going Tatis Acuna in some order. Then uh, Trout and Soto. And maybe that means Trout is five. Because I am freaking out, dude. Look, like, I'm just looking for green. And I think you have green uh, if it's like over five steals, right? And I'm looking for late green because that's another thing. Even if you take Tim Anderson and some five guys, then you need somebody at the end who's going to be kind of bulkier, right? So like over 100 in your rankings, green. Um, let's see, Jackie Bradley uh, could be part-time-ish. Always way up and down with the batting average. 283 in the short season, but 241 over the full season. Uh, Jerkson Profar, not really going to be a bulk guy, but maybe he'll get you 15 late. These, these, that's the best names until uh, 200, until 150, where you get Nick Solak, who doesn't have a job yet, Dylan Moore, who was a total pop-up guy, and like there's some risk about you know his age. He has a 224 average to combine 2019, 2020. So not like somebody I'm like. I like him, but I'm not jumping at him. Um, I think Solak is the best name I've said so far that I like in terms of like as a batter. Leody Tavares, three, 32% strikeout rate. Like definitely defense first guy. I still haven't like Solak is not going to rescue me. And he's the only guy that I like so far. I don't like John Birdie. I don't like Colton Wong from an offensive standpoint. I don't like Robbie Grossman next year. I don't like Manny Margot next year. I don't like Garrett Hampson next year. I don't like Shogo Akayama next year. So Austin Slater, maybe I like him. And now I've got Austin Slater and Nick Solak on my team. Congratulations, Eno. You have 20 steals. <laughs> yep. I've uh, I've made you paranoid. Yeah. I, I feel like I don't I've like done Ramel, my, my Ramel Taipia. I don't like Kevin Kiermeyer. I don't I don't even know if Mike Togman has a job. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So I will come back to another sort of line of <laughs> roster construction process related stuff that could impact rankings. How does that change if you get away from that top five, if you're in the middle of the round, or again, if you're in an auction scenario, how much does that make you interested in someone like Trey Turner or Trevor Story or Jose Ramirez? Like all those guys run a decent amount too. I don't really see a cliff coming stolen base wise with any of them at this point. I mean, it just it seems like you really have to prioritize bags early, even if you don't want to. Adelberto Mondesi is a player you got to make a decision on. Do you think what you're seeing late in the season is a sign of things to come? Can you get past the 30% K rate and sub 5% K rate there? I mean, that's who he's been over a larger range of time. There is some pop there. Not a lot. Like It's red ink compared to the other players in the first couple of rounds, but at least it's not nothing. 
Like, oh, do God. you do you figure out a way to build around a player like that, knowing his flaws, b- because you believe you can get power and run production and average and the other things you need to counterweight that with relative ease throughout the later rounds. The league average, the batting average is like two fifty, so average is not that super easy to get. You know, shooting yourself in the foot with average. However, I think it becomes more of a strategy in something like uh, AL only. Uh, because I was looking again through the, the at this sheet through the eyes of someone who plays an AL labor, an AL only uh, league, um, and so many of these speed options are in the NL. What if Lindor leaves Cleveland this offseason and goes to the NL? Totally possible. Everyone's talking about the Mets. So now you got that in the top uh, 15 here or the top 20. Um, and, and you're talking about you want speed from a top 20 overall guy in your AL only league. The only choices you'll have are Jose Ramirez, Xander Bogarts, and Adalberto Mondesi. Maybe Bo Bichette. Maybe Bo Bichette will steal more ba- bags. But Bo Bichette, uh, but Adalberto Mondesi is the only guy who's going to really move the needle. Those other guys are just guys who will get you a little bit more than normal, you know? Still won't get you to that 100. Adalberto Mondesi might you get you that 100 and half like halfway there and one guy i hate chasing steals but you got to think about them you definitely have to think about them and those targets they might be lower than ever but you still want to do well in the category and i don't know maybe punting steals becomes something that sometimes you have to do depending on how a draft falls right i mean there's only a few players in each pocket of the draft that you can go after someone else might be positioned to take them and they reach a couple picks a couple rounds even in some cases they get the guys you were targeting, and you kind of have to zig away. Or maybe it's just being respectable in steals, right? It's not punting entirely, but it's not overpaying because the market is overcorrecting and, and running through stop signs in the form of these skills flaws to get these players who who do this one thing, but they don't really have enough of anything else to put with it. I mean, it's, it's an open conversation at this yeah. point. I, I think there's going to be a lot of conversation and debate about that. Uh, in the weeks and months ahead. Uh, Let's talk about some tough rankings in particular. And I feel like there's kind of two groups that have tripped me up so far. This first applies to the hitters. We'll get to some pitcher stuff probably a little bit later on in this show, or if not on this show, next time we record. But guys who don't have a full 2019 to fall back on are extremely difficult to figure out. That'd be Randy Arozarena, who comes with the extra recency bias of a great postseason that would apply to, I think, Trent Grisham, who was a, a late call-up for the Brewers in 2019 and then took this massive step forward with San Diego this year. And it would apply to Luis Robert, who was a rookie playing in the big leagues for the first time. And we kind of saw him get off to a great start and the league sort of figured him out. And now it's a question of, all right, how quickly does he adjust? And can you trust that combination of power and speed, even if it might be accompanied by uh, a low average, low OBP sort of skill set for a while that buries him in the bottom third of the White Sox lineup. I mean, I think that's a, a fair concern and a fair question to think about as you try and put a projection together for Luis Robert. So would you agree that that's a, a un, like not those three players specifically, but that's a group of problematic players, players who just don't have that track record at all to fall back on in terms of how a projection would work and how a ranking could work? Yeah, you've definitely got that. Um, you've also got three players that were very uh, remarkable at different p- parts of the season and had 
some up and down nature to their season that uh, may lead you, depending on when you were paying attention to baseball and when you were not, <laughs> to think that they were amazing and flawless, you know? Um, I'm just thinking about, uh, I'm going to call him Robert. Uh, I found some pieces where he said that's what he prefers, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with that. It makes more <laughs> sense to me in my head because he's Cuban and that's how you would say it there. Um, so uh, anyway, Robert like came out real hot, right? And then was gone in the second half, but maybe your team wasn't any good. <laughs> <laughs> and you stop paying attention, and then you saw him in that wild card game, obliterate a ball, hit the he hit the ball further than any other person in this postseason uh, when he when he almost hit it out of uh, Oakland Stadium. So uh, you know you might think he's amazing uh, if you uh, watched Grisham, um, you know at certain points he looked amazing. He also regressed some, um, and then Arena like uh, you know if you watched the whole playoffs, you saw some regression near the end. Uh, there was definitely more strikeouts near the end of the postseason, um, and uh, he definitely cooled down a little bit. There did seem to be more of a book on him by the end of the, the postseason. So, uh, you know, I, I I do like to fall back on on the stat cast stats. Unfortunately, again here, they're really good for all of them, um, and there's no real reason to um, to 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 fault any of them when it comes to the quality of their batted balls. And in fact, the thing that you would, might fault them on is their plate discipline, their plate skills. Um, and you don't always have enough sample for not only like their true talent, like how much contact can they make and, and stuff like that, but how much the book is going to change and how much they were able to, to you know, respond to that book and how much, how much uh, ability to change had they shown. So I think Robert in that case is almost the most um, worrisome for me. Uh, just because if you look at his splits, uh, the strikeout rate was, uh, you know, it was um, more manageable uh, at the beginning. And, uh, you know, he started out with a th- uh, 32% strikeout rate in the first two months, 30, 31%. Um, and then he was at 34% in September. So um, there's some risk there that it's, that we haven't, seen the bottom of his strikeout rate? Yeah, I think that's possible. I, I think one thing I look at when I see a high K rate for a young player, I look at Savant and I look at the different pitch type breakdowns and I want to see is there a clear flaw with a pitch type? Is it an inability to do damage against anything but a fastball? And that doesn't apply to Robert. I prefer the Robert pronunciation too, so I'm glad that that's what we think he prefers because that's where it started. And yeah, I started right. at Robert. <laughs> Everyone said it's Robert, and I said, no, it can't be, and that's how they pronounced it for a year, and I really hope we're getting it right. I hope it is Robert. There is a video where he describes his name as something muddled that sounds a little bit like Robert. Um, that's, that's the video of the pronunciation video. That's why I think everyone's using Robert. But... Um, in a piece, he says that's how basically he thinks Americans would say it, and he's mm-hmm. he's he's fine with that. But like, you know, that's not how it's been said his whole life. <laughs> so. Right? He doesn't need to adapt it for the English language. We right. can pronounce it the correct we way. We can handle it. He would like it to be pronounced. It's totally fine. So, uh, a lot of damage on breaking balls. Seven homers against breaking balls, only three against fastballs. I mean, the, actually, the numbers against fastballs might be a little bit concerning. So you could dig in there, see what the heat maps show you, if there's anything with high fastballs or something along those lines. 
I don't know. Like I, I see a, a reasonable balance in where he was doing damage. So that doesn't jump off the page to me as this like uncorrectable sort of problem. But it takes time. Hitters don't just get better overnight and mm-hmm. suddenly cut their K rate by 10%. So I do think the thing you can look at with a guy like him is Robert hits the ball hard enough where he could strike out a lot and still not be a batting average liability, but within his range of outcomes, he is still a batting average liability despite his ability to hit the ball hard, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like, that's that's part of the concern. It's a fairly unique sort of setup that he's good at hitting breaking balls and bendy stuff. We'll see about fastball, but he also has incredible bat speed. So it's not about not catching up to fastballs. It's something about his approach. Right. So and, and that's probably just experience, right? I mean, if he had a full year to even adapt to how big league pitchers were attacking mm-hmm. him, he may have made that adjustment. He might have started feasting on fastballs. I feel like we just didn't get enough of a look to know what the adjustment is or was going to be. I think we'll get a sense of that probably in the first two to three months of, of 2021. Steamer says 260 batting average with a 27% strikeout rate. That's really good if that's what he becomes. And I assume, what, 25 and 25-ish for the homers 30 and steals? 30 homers, 25 wow. steal, 24 steals. Okay, so 30, 24, 260. That's really good. There's your, there's your middle round. But it's not going to be middle round. I mean, it's going to be what? Uh, he's going to be probably a top, top 50 30, player based on 50. ADP, I would think. Oh, for sure. uh, top 30. I was saying top 30 batter. Top, top, yeah, top yeah. I've batter. got just hitters ranked against hitters. Well, the two early mocks are always a good starting point, too. And in those, ADP 34.9, an early pick of 16. That's definitely kind of an outlier. Mostly 27-31. We got a 45, 45-41, a 39 in there. So a reasonably wide range. It's earlier than I expected. That's inside the top 40 with ease, though. I mean, I I understand it. I totally understand it. And another way to look at this, like even though Alberto Mondesi runs a lot more than Robert does, there's more balance, potentially, in what you're going to get. It's reflected in the projection. Like I I think someone who didn't like Mondesi a couple years ago, I think, could like Luis Robert a lot more because of the different ways he can make value at that inflated price. Plus power, where as Mondesi is probably league average or less. Um, some inklings of patience, you know, the ability to walk when people aren't giving him anything uh, with Robert that I don't necessarily think you see with Mondesi. I think those things are important. Mondesi, however, you know, both plus defenders and we keep them on the field. And I think that's really important to keep in mind with any player. I mean, you mentioned Jackie Bradley Jr. a little earlier as a an option for for late speed. He had a better year in 2020 than I think people realize. Again, small sample, and he's Defense been a very streaky player. But he should play a lot, and playing time volume gets a little overlooked sometimes. It's going to be there. Some teams are going to bring him in if he doesn't stay in Boston to be their regular center fielder, and he's going to play basically every day with a power-speed combo that you know, I, I think has always been pretty interesting. 2010. Like he's a, he's a fairly good bet for 2010 most years. I mean, it, it's shaped a little differently from year to year. Um, and the question, the biggest question is the batting average. But if you're in a punt batting average team, you know, a Mondesi, Jackie Bradley combo is pretty powerful. Absolutely. Now it's interesting. Both of these guys are on the swinging strike 
leaderboard from 2020. Yeah. Luis Robert is first at 22.1%. Oh, was, yeah, yoy. He, swing, he was swinging the bat even more than Keston Hira, who was at 20.4%, also a tough rank. And Mondesi right there at number three among qualified hitters at 20.1. I mean, other people on this list, Javi Baez is fourth, Miguel Sano is fifth, Avi Garcia had a weird year. He's sixth. Willie Adame struck out a ton this year. He's seventh. Mm. Castellanos is eighth. Frenmil Reyes is ninth. Rafael Devers is tenth. He struck out a lot more than we expected this year as well. Like this is this points to a higher than projected K percentage without some significant improvement. Interesting thing that fits into this, uh, and I'm not sure that it, it fits like a glove because a lot of these guys are young, but. Um, there, there is evidence that, um, in a given season hitters start out the year swinging less. And I think it's like, you know, they're, they're trying to see what everyone's got and then they become more aggressive as the season goes on. Um, but we didn't have that as the season goes on this year. And so we might from some hitters just have the portion of the season where they were not swinging as much and not swinging as much as correlated to strikeouts and walks and power. So some of this might be. They spent a month trying to see what this, the the league had, <laughs> and then the season was half over. You know, so um, that that's kind of a fascinating thing that we didn't have last year. It's not just the opportunity to regress and uh, improve; it's that there is a certain shape to every season that last season didn't have. That's a it's a really good point too. And look, I don't think there's any one metric that would automatically lead me to just say, hey, I'm not drafting this player. I mean, I think price in the draft or auction is a major factor that would change whether or not I'm comfortable having a player on my team. But Baez kind of falls into the other bucket of, of players that I think are tough ranks. It's the massive 2020 collapses. Like, Despite his flaws, I think we all felt like we had a pretty good sense of what Javier Baez was going to do in any particular season at this point in his career. And he was awful. And I know he went on the record and talked about not having in-game video and his frustrations with that, and, and that was part of why he, he underperformed. At least that's part of our our narrative as far as why he he fell apart. But the 2020 collapses, Austin Meadows, who you know was sick at one point and had an oblique injury to the season, he's part of that. Cattell Marte's power vanishing, like those guys are all really tough in any given year. When when you just get a result that's so far away from the normal range of outcomes, you're just left to say okay what do we not know about this player in the case of Baez he's talked about the video in the case of Meadows we've got some stuff that we found out about on the health front that makes sense kind of explains it with Cattell Marte I'm not quite sure what it is I think he had a wrist injury late in the year but man like I I thought the underlying numbers supported his breakout in 2019 I didn't see red flags in how he put it all together a year ago. So he's definitely a a player that I'm looking at. And as an evaluator, I'm sort of chasing my own tail with Cattell Marte in particular, because it just mm-hmm. doesn't add up. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think the others that might be a little bit easier to parse. Austin Meadows is 25 years old. And I think the injuries were huge. I mean, I talked to him a little bit in the off season, in the postseason on zooms and stuff about it. And he said that, you know, all he can do is try to swing more and, get back in it but you know that coming from covid trying to get back on and then having a, a, a an oblique injury this is just a terrible way to shape a season you know it's just like oh you barely got going and now you're hurt in a way that's really difficult for hitters you know and i don't think he looked right even as he hit a homer in the postseason i thought 
you know, that was barely the beginning of him getting back on track. But given his age, I'm giving him uh, a bounce back. You know, I'm giving him a, a healthy year bounce back. I'm giving him most of his power back. I'm giving him most of his strikeout rate back. And I think he'll be a, a, an actually a good um, a good investment. Baez, I don't like as much because I think that there there are concerns for me in terms of the strikeout rate has risen now three straight seasons. Um, the uh, success rate on stolen bases or just the, you know, the attempts that he's, the amount of times he's took, taken off on stolen bases has gone down. So I don't know that I would project him uh, for much more than uh, 10 stolen bases next year. Um, and uh, even in your combined um, uh, two year thing or a year and a half thing for him, um, you know, he's hitting 258. So that's about where I'd expect him to come in at sort of 250, 25 homers, 10 steals, I think he'll be cost more than that. That's that's something for me to figure out. But if if I can buy him at that price, maybe I'm back in. But well, I think he's kind of similar to Marcus Simeon. If you look at the last two years, and Simeon strikes out a lot less. I think just putting a lot more balls in play, you leave yourself in a position where more good things can happen. You can pick up a yeah. few more RBIs. You can find extra hits along the way. I, I think most drafts you're going to see Baez probably goes quite a bit earlier. They both had disappointing seasons. Uh, Baez, I think, had an ADP of 81 in the two early mocks, and Simeon was at 137. There's not 50 picks difference between those two guys value-wise for me. Like that's that's too much. Like I would take the discount on Simeon every single time, and with Baez, maybe that price is closer to right. So at break even, it's like, well, what could I get instead? And more likely than not, given the depth at shortstop that we've talked about for a long time. Uh, given the fact that Baez actually doesn't run that much, so you're not getting the speed you need either, I can probably talk myself into a lot of other players around that pick 80 range. You know, if you look at the board from the two early mocks and say, well, what other hitters were going around Baez? JD Martinez? Yeah, I'm buying into a JD bounce back before I buy into Javi Baez being an early round guy again. Uh, Charlie Blackman, kind of interesting for a lot of reasons. I think I would trust him a little more than Baez at this point. I think there's some flaws there. Uh, Castellanos, you know, doesn't run, but I like him more than Baez. Jordan Alvarez, starting to run already on an anti-gravity treadmill. It's all happening, you know. He's coming back. <laughs> Jordan's going to be the the 24-year-old that had two knee surgeries and is going to be totally healthy, right? It's all, it's all going to be fine. Um, I, I mean, I look at all those hitters around Baez, and I, I, I think I have a better case to take all of them over him at the price. So he becomes a player I miss out on simply because everybody around him has a better path to exceeding value at that price. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I think then, um, you know, one of the hardest then becomes, I think you're right, Marte. Um, and for Marte, what's so interesting is that he retained his growth when it comes to max exit velocity. And so he theoretically still has that same power potential. I mean, he went from 116.3 to 115.9. I don't think that's a very much of a functional difference. Uh, his his average launch angle went from 11.6 to 10. So that seems pretty normal. But his barrel rate went from 9% in his 2019 breakout season to 3.7. And his career barrel rate is 4.2. So that's really big difference. You know, normally you'd expect someone who grew from 4.5 to 9.1 to maybe regress a little bit, but to keep half of his gains. So you would expect him to settle in at 7 or 8% barrel rate, you know, 7% barrel rate. 
Um, and instead he did half that and he kind of went all the way back. And uh, I don't know that uh, we're necessarily going to uh, find a, uh, a, 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 a solution here for what happened. Uh, but even if you look at other uh, advanced metrics like Connor Corcoran has a, um, a dynamic hard hit percentage um, and uh, Ketel Marte halved his. Um, <laughs> so it's, uh, and it's weird because even Connor admits that his dynamic hard hit percentage fully supported the 2019 breakout and then it went away. Um, so maybe it's selectivity because, you know, there is definitely, um, there was a change in his swing rates and his, and his walk rates. Um, also he only stole one base. So like, I'm a little bit like, I think maybe some of the power will come back and I like his uh, contact skills. So I think he can hit 290 next year and hit, you know, 20 to 25 homers but I think he might only steal three to five bags. And I don't know. Where's it? What's his cost like? 78 was the ADP range of 65 to 97. So comparable to Baez. I mean, Marte versus Baez. Like, I think I, I just, I like Marte's approach a lot more. I'll take a, a strikeout rate that might be a third of Baez's. And so therefore a much better batting average. Yeah. So at, at cost, I would definitely go could tell Marte as well and I, I just I wonder how much of this was was injury I mean the, the interesting thing about something like max exit velocity right if you're healthy at the beginning of the season and you scald the ball because you're you're fine you're yourself and a week or two into the season you get hurt you know you had a chance to reach that max but then your average starts to lag because you're, you're playing with a, a wrist injury a shoulder injury whatever yeah, yeah. it might be right so I I wonder if, if that could be maybe a little bit of a, an indicator for us that yeah he just wasn't quite healthy for for most of the season that's why the power went away he was healthy early showed that ceiling again so it's not a complete fluke and you can look at it max ev is really hard uh alex chamberlain did had a, a good piece on fangaras recently about uh, max ev and it is uh super useful to know early on it, it is super useful the minute you see it however not seeing it is harder to analyze, <laughs> especially from someone who's established it in the past. Because somebody like Jose Abreu last year uh, showed his best his best max exit velo of his career in like the third week of September. <laughs> you know? It's just like I wasn't waiting for it because I thought I knew what Jose Abreu is. But if that was a young player uh, and he just didn't hit that ball, would I come out of this season being like, oh, that guy can't hit the ball? Like Gavin Lux. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, Nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash theathletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, 
and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Gavin Lux, I think, is is really impo- really difficult uh, player to 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 figure out because we're talking about not only like yeah he has 151 plate appearances but it's two half se- like two 70 plate appearance seasons right and so even if you want to like say like oh um, you know he's had 95 batted ball events that's eh, not a lot you know and yeah his max EV in 2019 was 109.8. In 2020, it was 105.6. Does that mean that we now think that he's just a guy who can only hit the ball, quote-unquote, 105 miles an hour? If that's true and his barrel rates are true, then he's not actually that good of a prospect. I mean, this these are the max EVs and barrel rates uh, for Gavin Lux for a guy that might uh, hit 20 homers, but probably hit more like 15. Yeah, that's that one's tough because I for the reason you mentioned, the samples in both instances are so small. Yeah, and maybe if you'd given him 100 tries, he could have hit the ball 115. Like, if we yeah. knew minor league numbers, that'd be great to know. That would be just the best missing piece of the puzzle. For a lot uh, of al- al- Alternate site numbers. <laughs> like, how hard was the guy hitting the ball at the alternate site? Like, that yeah. would that would actually mean something to me. There's not a lot of stuff that would matter from there, but just an indicator of, of raw power or, like, a raw power ceiling, that would be very helpful. That would be some... Some missing information that would help round out the profile. I mean, I think the way my mind works, I I just see a lot of similarities to what happened to Kyle Tucker in Houston, where he's on a good team. They didn't have an overwhelming need to play him. He also, I believe, was impacted by COVID earlier in the the startup phase again. Ended up getting demoted to the alternate site, spent more time there than I and many people expected. And there never really was the overwhelming need for middle infield help. Corey Seager stayed healthy and was really productive. They got a lot of mileage out of Taylor and Kike. And it it's just one of those things where they probably will have a greater need for him in 2021 because Justin Turner is a free agent. They're going to have to shuffle things around in the infield. If they don't bring him back. And suddenly Lux will have a place to call his own. And you kind of have to choose your own adventure. Do you believe in the 2019 numbers as a better indicator of his potential or do you really want to buy into 2020 as being an indication that he doesn't have as much ceiling as we once hoped? Like I, I fall into the former group. I think what we saw in 2019 gives us a better idea of Lux's ceiling than what we saw in 2020. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes when you have incomplete information like that, it's useful to use a projection system that just dives in, uses those minor league results based stuff and, and produces a projection like Steamer has 259, 14 homers to seven stolen bases. That's okay, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's it's second base can be a tough position. So I could see a fair amount of teams where I decide I'm going to go late on second base and then Lux is on my bench. 
I still think Lux, and this happened with Tucker too. This is where the similarities in my mind come mm-hmm. from. I think there's a certain type of player with a limited track record in the big leagues that projection systems just don't do well with. I love projections. I use them all the time. I just think there are certain players that they don't quite fit, and you kind of have to decide for yourself. You have to trust your eyes. You have to trust your own judgment more than what the system spits out, and I think that applies to Lux. Yeah. Because that's, I mean, that's exactly what we saw with Tucker. Tucker came up, had a terrible slash line and a really small amount of playing time, and that got folded into the projections a bit. And you know, some of the AAA equivalent numbers uh, probably weren't very good because the overall results were so skewed at AAA from 2019. And Kyle Tucker's 2020 projection was pretty underwhelming. I'm trying to remember what it was off the top of my head. It, it just, I remember looking at it and just going, this doesn't seem right. And I can understand why it wouldn't be right, but I don't want to trust what I'm seeing. I, I want to trust myself more than I want to trust this number that I'm pretty sure is flawed. Yeah. And with so many guys gone, there's definitely sometimes um, you can overthink it. Like if you think about like Drixon Profar or something, like there's a lot of things that he doesn't do well. Uh, but if he ends up in the right place, he has uh, and has an opportunity to play, then you know, he's got the number one thing that we are always looking for is the opportunity to play. Because mm-hmm. to a certain extent, the deeper you pick the guy and the deeper your league is, the more it just matters how much he plays. <laughs> uh, so depending on where Profar ends up, I might like him even though I don't like his batted ball stats. Um, and Lux is actually in a good position when it comes to opportunity right now uh, just because uh, Kike is gone. I'm trying to confirm this. Kike is gone, right? Yeah, yeah. He's he's a free agent. He doesn't have a team designation on on Fangraphs anymore. Yeah, and Turner's gone. Um, and you know, right now, I would say that like Muncie is the first baseman. I'd rather play him at first defensively. Lux is the second baseman, and Turner comes back on the free agent deal. And Chris Taylor is uh, the Kike replacement. Yeah, you could run it like that. So I mean. That means they could spend some money maybe on an outfielder or just backfill in the outfield with um, Rios, Edwin Rios, and Matt Beatty types. They really don't have to do anything. They could yeah. just get some depth guys and and just let it ride with the roster they've got. They've got enough depth to to get away with it. And you know, with with Chris Taylor, he's a nice player. Eight homers, three steals, two seventy, three sixty six, four seventy six in twenty twenty. It's not that far off the two sixty two, three thirty three, four sixty two. That we saw in 2019 like he's living in that above average overall offensive player range every year even even without full-time opportunities just a really nice glue guy for them a really great nl only player i would say because it's not going to cost you much because people say what's his role but then you look up like 2019 12 homers eight steals like if you were an nl only you'd be super happy to have that and he could plug them all over the place for seven or eight bucks, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it definitely works. Uh, one more player-specific question that I want to get to. Uh, it was from Mike G. He wants to know, is Will Myers fool's gold? Because Myers was a guy, you know, I didn't have anywhere this year. I just, I didn't see it. I thought he was kind of done. You know, he couldn't hit sliders. And uh, he's actually, if you look at the splits, he fixed that flaw. And I don't know how much we can trust that in a 60-game season. Uh, he's always had raw power. He's always had speed. And, you know, he didn't steal as many bases this year, but when you hit a bunch of home runs, you steal fewer bases. So I, I don't know if that's necessarily 
indicative of, of actual lost skill or if it's just reshaped production, right? You hit 15 home runs in 55 games. Some of your green lights went away because you hit home runs instead. So what do you make of what you saw from Will Myers in 2020 and how sticky do you think it is to be bad against breaking balls for basically your whole career and to, in a 60-game season, start doing a lot of damage against them? Yeah, I just think that screams like, you know, there would have been a, you know, different way of pitching him. You know, like the the pitchers would have changed it up and if there had been more season, then he would have struggled. I mean, if you just add in what he did in the postseason, you start to see, oh, okay, like like 26 more plate appearances. If you just add 26 more plate appearances to his line last year, you would be adding a 227 average in those in those extra plate appearances. Um, and yeah, he stole one base. So I, I think, you know, my projection for him would be like something like a 235 average, uh, 25 homers, and like six to eight steals. I think he could very much a candidate for speed dropping off the table because he was kind of like a, a 15 guy. And then he had two this year with one caught stealing, and he's 29. This is exactly when. I think a lot of players stop stealing bases. So I just don't know how exciting he's going to be. Even if he hits 240 with 25 homers and six steals, um, that seems more, I would see, I'd lean more towards fool's gold with that sort of projection, right? Yeah, I mean, I think fool's gold in the sense that 35 to 40 home runs, kind of based on what was happening in 2020, are Mm -hmm. out of the question. He's not not sustaining all these gains into 2021. I think that's, that's pretty fair to say. Uh, but I think it's interesting because you're right about the age. Like Will Myers' speed was always underrated it, because mm. it was probably because he was a catching prospect originally with the Royals, right? That automatically kind of shoves us to to push these guys into these buckets of doesn't run real well. He's a catcher. It was like, well, no, no, he he was a catcher who moved to center field and then eventually moved out of center field. Even tried third base at one point. Like he's clearly a good athlete. There's no there's no doubt about that now. I I wonder if he's still more of like a 10 steal guy. If you start taking some of the home runs away, if he gets back to maybe being a cheap 10 steal guy, like another 2010 guy, kind of like Jackie Bradley, actually. Low average, decent OBP. Like Myers has always been pretty good at drawing walks, 8% to 10% year over year. K rates in the mid to upper 20% range most years. That 2019 34.2 looks like the outlier. I think he's a, a better core skills guy than he's been given credit for, at least from me. And exit velo numbers look good every year too. He's hit the ball hard throughout the stat cast era. It just when I look at his player page, I just see the bad years. (laughs) (laughs) And uh I think there's a fair amount of kind of oscillation year to year. Um and that just speaks to me to someone that makes adjustments eventually but sometimes struggles with them in any given year. 2018, he hit 11 homers in a little bit over half a season. Uh, in 2019, he struck out 34% of the time. He'd never struck out more than 27% before that. You know, uh, there's kind of like this yo-yoing effect. You see this batting average that um, at times has been really, really bad. And then last year was 288. I think that's the thing that makes me most nervous is the batting average. But if you if you yeah. either have settings where that doesn't matter and it's more about OBP, or uh, you're punting batting average, or you're just paying a cost that 
reflects a 230 projected batting average, then I'm then I'm then I'm in. You know, every, I think every player has a like every player has a place where it makes sense to get them. Yeah, and Myers from the two early mocks, 111 is the ADP. It's helpful to look at the other players going in that range, yeah. though. It's like 111 right rather? now doesn't mean much. So would you rather, just in the outfield alone, I'll run through the names real quick, and then you can kind of say which of these guys actually goes above because we're getting short on time. Uh, Randy Rosarena is actually in that range. He's We just know he's not going to be there, though, in the spring. He's, right. he's shooting up. Uh, Mike Yastrzemski is in the same range, and... Kyle Lewis is in the same range. Little, Lewis is a little earlier. Um, and two bounce-back candidates, one outside of the outfield, Jose Altuve and Chris Bryant. Those are the <laughs> kinds of names going around Will Myers right now. Man, I might take most of them. I don't know about Altuve. I just, I'm a little bit worried about big injury. Mike Yaz, though? like That, that one's a pretty interesting toss-up because he put together another great season, and I think he gets underrated because he's with the Giants, especially as a left-handed hitter in that ballpark understandably a lot of concerns about how viable the power is but clearly has a job i mean if you're talking about like a two you know he had a 245 iso in 2019 and then they changed the fences in a way that could help him you know that's this pull power alley that's just triple alley and they and they brought those fences in and then he had a 271 average uh 271 iso so he just doesn't have the this, this, this speed but i do think he'll have a better batting average than will myers so i'm taking I'm taking Yaz, I think. All right, so the the extra thirty or so points in batting average worth more than the eight, maybe ten steals difference between the two players. I mean, that's it's fair, and you might you might make that decision based on whether or not you need that little speed boost or not. Too what you've done earlier could be a factor, so it's appropriate based on Yaz being there. But some of the bounce back candidates in that range, Chris Bryant. I mean, I hope it's just health. I, I really do. I hope he's going to bounce back in, in 2021 and, and kind of be an early mid-rounder again. Not a top 20, top 30 type guy, but I think he can get back to being in that 40 to 60 range. I think that's still that's still possible for Chris Bryant based on the core skills. I, just, I, I think the concerning thing for him, we talked about him a ton, it's not just one year where things have kind of fallen apart. It seems like it's more like a long-term damage kind of injury that he's been dealing with with his shoulder. Yeah, and now it's like we've talked about before. Like now it's dovetailing with age, you know, and so it's kind of hard to kind of piece out the two different parts of it. Um, but you know, uh, twenty nineteen is not that long ago. Two two eighty homers, uh, two eighty and uh, with thirty one homers. Um, it's kind of hard, even though that some of the Statcast numbers weren't amazing that season. It's still kind of hard to poo poo that. I think he's um, a little bit safer than Myers. Strikeout rates not never got as as crazy as as Myers's did, um, and it's not like Myers's power hasn't yo-yoed, right? But they might be more similar than people really ever would have thought. I mean, yeah. if you told me going into this season that Myers versus Chris Bryant might be a fair toss-up, I would have yeah. said, "Hey, that's true." Pass some of that over here because that's that's crazy talk, you know. Like I I would like whatever double IPAs you've been drinking all day if uh, if you saw that. But hey, look, I mean, Will Myers again. A nice player overall, not complete fool's gold, not 30-20 anymore, but I also wouldn't look at what he unlocked in 2020 and start projecting that over a full season either. I think you could end up pretty disappointed if you go that route. Time flies when you're talking baseball and, <laughs> and diverting your mind away from other things in the world. Uh, if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, we're running a $1 a week offer right now at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. That'll get you everything we do on the site 
including those rankings when they finally go up. It's looking like Monday is the actual day that these will be ready for public consumption. We have another episode coming up on Friday with Britt. We're going to do that on a regular basis throughout the offseason, talking regular baseball on Fridays, having our fantasy episodes on Mondays and Wednesdays on Twitter. He's at Enoceris. I am at Derek Van Riper. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Friday. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.